What does this little hand do? I'm gonna... I think you can raise your hand. I think that's like a thing. <gasps> Allie has something to say. I think you're great. That's all. Ready? Ready. Hello, and welcome to Where the People Aren't. I'm Allie. And I'm Jesse. Today we are talking about the rescuers down under. Down under. Down under. We figured we'd follow up the rescuers with its sequel right off the bat, because why not? We're probably not going to do that with all of them, because I don't want to do four Toy Stories back to back. No. That would be a lot. Yeah. Mostly we started looking into this one and was like, there's not actually that much to go into it, so we may as well just knock it out. All right. Picture it. Picturing. It's 1990. The biggest hit of the year was Hold On by Wilson and Phillips. Now, there has been a trend of me not recognizing any of the songs that were the biggest hits of the year, but I actually did recognize this one. Did you? I don't remember this one at all. And I just want you to know that I am trying to find some fun facts. So they're not all. Are we working on having a little bit more of a good? Well, I just want you to get off my ass about it. So I have some fun facts. Well, you keep picking downer shit. That's just life, baby. What are you going to (laughs) do? Douglas Wilder is elected the first African-American governor of a U.S. state since the Reconstruction era. It's 1990. Guys, come on. Nelson Mandela is released from prison after 27 years. He was imprisoned for sabotage because he hated white supremacy. German unification begins. So, a lot of this next one I copied directly from Wikipedia because it was so cool. 12 paintings and a Shang Dynasty vase, collectively worth 100 to $300 million, are stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, Massachusetts, by two thieves posing as police officers. Hmm. This is the largest art theft in U.S. history, and as of 2018, the paintings have still not been recovered. Dang. What do you do with... them on your wall obviously like why would why why well because obviously if you try to sell them you're gonna get caught that's what i'm saying what's the point of it'd be like stealing the mona lisa or i don't know the declaration of independence i still haven't seen that movie the strange ways prison riot occurs in manchester england it is the country's longest prison riot clocking in at over three weeks and it alerted the world to the existence of a prison called strange ways which sounds like is a long time that is a long time i'm assuming that they were like protesting for better prisoner treatment yeah i'm actually not sure but doesn't strange ways prison just sound like some sort of it sounds like a fake one like ya novel yeah exactly Yeah. But I feel like most of England is full of shit like that. Yeah, that's true. You'll find him in Cockbum Alley or something. (laughs) The SNES is released in Japan. Yeah. Which means it's only 15 years until The Breath of the Wild is released. (laughs) The best Nintendo game. And on November 16th, 1990, Disney's 29th animated feature film, The Rescuers Down Under, is released. Directed by Hendel Batoy and Mike Gabriel. The music was done by Bruce Broughton. Uh, this is the second Disney film after The Black Cauldron to not have musical numbers. That was one of my notes. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I think that you and I probably read the same article. They marketed it as the first action-adventure animated film from the studio. Oh, okay. Which, I guess, that's Is that true? Fine. I guess so. I guess if you do, if you exclude all the other ones that are musicals as a separate category. Yes, that's true. I guess. Yes. But like, I mean, everything is kind of action. Like Robin Hood was action adventure. The first Rescuers was kind of action adventure. Just had musical numbers. So therefore. Do you think this one was more like aimed towards boys? Because the other hmm, one was more That might have been. I didn't see anything indicating towards that. But I didn't either. It's a possibility. It was Katzenberg after all. 
Cody, a boy living in the Australian outback, frees a rare golden eagle from a trap. When an evil poacher kidnaps Cody to catch the eagle, a group of local animals contact the Rescue Aid Society in New York City, who assign their top mice, Bernard and Bianca, to the case. To save Cody and the eagle, the agents fly to Australia on a clumsy albatross and enlist the help of an adventurous kangaroo rat. I feel like they're giving the kangaroo rat a lot more screen time than he actually gets. I feel like they're giving all of them more screen time than they actually get. There's just so much of this that's like sweeping landscapes and... Yes, the the Australian Outback really was the main character it of was. this movie. It was the main character. It had a budget of $37.93 million and got a box office of $47.4 million, so not super great. No, not great. It has a 6.9 out of 10 on... On IMDb, a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the classic Google yes, no is at 91%. 91% yes? Yes. Are you sure? It's always that way. It's that way every time you ask me that. Just asking. Okay. I need consistency. I'm just double checking everyone's work. (laughs) Thanks, Allie. (laughs) Uh, It didn't win any, like, good awards. It has some things like the Dallas-Fort Worth Films Critics Awards. Oh, coveted. And the Genesis Awards that I've never heard of. And the Golden Screen from Germany. Das Golden Screen. Das Golden Screen. So, I mean, that yeah, not that exciting. That's okay. Yeah. By the mid-80s, The Rescuers had been a great success for Disney, with the studio now under the control of Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Boo-hiss. Actually wrote that. boo <laughs> Uh, A sequel was approved, the first ever sequel for a Disney animated film. You would think that the film would also have been based on some of the Rescuers books written by Marjorie Sharp like the first one, but no. The Rescuers Down Under owes its origin to the 1986 release of the absolute classic Crocodile Dundee, which made Australia cool for the mainstream American public, and there was nothing Katzenberg liked more than making money, so they had to cash in on that Australia mania. Of course, animation takes a while to produce. So by the time The Rescuers Down Under was released in 1990, Crocodile Dundee 2 had been released two years prior with significantly less success. And apparently the American public found Australia less exciting than they had four years before, if the box office numbers for The Rescuers Down Under is anything to go by. Did you know that Perth is the most isolated city? Yes. I think like in the world, it takes three days to get from Perth to Adelaide, which is the next nearest. It takes over a month for the package that I ordered for Christmas to come from Perth. That's right. I ordered a thing from a YouTube channel that we watch, and I didn't realize that they were in Perth, but it sat at the Perth airport for like three weeks before it left. And by the time, and then it got to San Francisco and it's like lickety split, but forever. I wonder what the Perth airport's like. Just overrun with like horseshoe crap. Crabs. Probably. Lots of flies. There's always flies in all the videos. These guys yeah. just get like attacked by flies. I watch a, he's not on, I guess maybe he's on YouTube, but he's a cooking guy, comedian who just looks like a metal dude named Nat. That's all I know is his name is Nat. His channel's called Nat. Nat's what I reckon. <laughs> and he, he like has a war on jarred and canned sauces. So it's always like, this is how you can make like chicken noodle soup from scratch. And it's super easy. It's going to be way better. And so he always, he always sure, opens it's gonna be better, light. but it takes so much more time. Oh no. Everything he makes is like pretty quick. Um, yeah, but, but he's always like as quick as opening a can. Well, you sound like a hater is what you sound like. What did you think of this movie? I thought it was very weird. Yeah, you were texting me when you were watching it. It was, it's very epic. It's very sweeping. We joked earlier about the landscapes. The landscapes. Impressive. The very big birds, quite unreasonably sized birds. Yes. It was very much like The Rescuers for me, where I know that I saw it, but I didn't really have any memories of it. So it was almost like deja vu when I was watching. I was like, oh, this looks like vaguely, hmm, I kind of remember some of this. Yeah, it was really strange. I thought it was a really strange concept. Uh, I think that The Rescuers is a strange concept in general. I think that George C. Scott being in it was odd. Everything about it was just kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of it? This is one of the ones that I remember watching frequently. We had this one in one of the puffy, squishy white boxes. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, we did not have the first one. Sure. We didn't have the rescuers. We only had the rescuers down under. So I, well, I don't really remember having, I probably watched it, but I don't really remember watching the rescuers. This one, I have vivid memories of watching. Okay. And I remember watching it a lot because we didn't do anything but watch fucking Disney movies all the time when we were a kid. That's why we have a podcast. Yeah. And 
I don't think that this quite lived up to my memory of this movie, which is rough. But I think it's because, you know, we're looking at things really critically while we watch it now, and it's definitely not doing favors to those movies that don't quite actually have a lot of substance to them. We knew that we were risking ruining a lot of beloved childhood memories when we decided to do this podcast. Yeah, and some of them are holding up better than others, and this one, mostly it, I think it felt like kind of like an incomplete complete movie to me watching it this time. Yeah, I read in one of the articles I was reading about it that part of why they didn't have songs and it was because they didn't want to like slow down the plot or something and I was like I don't plot? yeah that's kind of how I felt I was like I don't think that it really would have affected it one way or another no, if you don't want to have it, songs that's fine but I feel like that might have pulled it together a little bit better actually because it feels very yeah. disjointed it's well it's already a ridiculous nonsensical concept willful suspension of disbelief on that front well right but I'm saying that like having a song in there would have fit just yeah. fine because like I read someone timed it out like Bianca and Bernard don't show up on screen until 18 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And then they don't even meet Cody, the main character of this movie, until 56 minutes into this movie. Yeah. That's a really bizarre thing for your well, They had two- to get from New York to Australia and they are a very small. Flight. You're right. You're right. They have tiny little mouse legs. Tiny little mouse legs. So this movie saw the return of Bob Newhart and Ava Gabor for the roles of Bianca and Bernard. And this was Ava Gabor's final film role before she passed away. Mm. Some other cast and crew. What have I got here? Oh, Frank Welker is back for some of his 847 credits on IMDb. We we love him. We love Frank Welker. We talk He's... about him like every other podcast. What a king. He supplied the sounds for Maharute and Joanna, as well as other like sound effects. Okay. He does animals a lot. He does a lot of animals and sound mm-hmm. effects, which is why he has 847 credits. Yeah. Good for him. Good for him. Mike Gabriel, one of the directors, had been a supervising animator on Oliver and Company when Peter Schneider, the producer and president of the Walt Disney Animated Features, asked if he'd like to direct. He declined, saying, well, after watching George Scribner, who directed Oliver and Company, it doesn't look like it would be much fun. Oh, no. <laughs> he also asked why they would make a sequel to The Rescuers, and Schneider said it was the highest grossing film of the last 10 years, and they were going to make it whether or not Gabriel wanted to. That sounds like me when I'm in charge of something. Why are we doing it like this? Because we are. Shut the fuck up and do it. It's just, it's so obvious that this became just a money grab movie. Yeah. And not like a movie that people actually cared about doing. You can tell. Which I think you can tell. Obviously, Gabriel changed his mind a few months later and directed it. In the grand tradition of Disney creating new systems to make their shit do what they want, Rescuers Down Under was the first animated film to be completed using the CAPS system, which is the Computer Animation Production System. So what it is is the drawings from the animators would be scanned into a computer and then digitally colored, and then they would be combined with backgrounds in the software that allowed for the camera's positioning to be changed and multiplane effects. Multiplane is like the stuff we talked about with Cinderella, or not Cinderella, Snow White, mm-hmm. where they had like the multiple cameras, but be- being able to do it in the computers instead. They also used some CGI elements, including in the opening with the big field of flowers. And the CAPS project was apparently the first collaboration with Pixar. We saw the Pixar credit at the end, and we were both Will and I were really surprised that yeah. this is 1990. I mean, this is. Yeah, so this was what that was is they developed the system with Disney. Okay. Animator Randy Cartwright was brought in to the CAPS project to help make it easier for the animators to understand because computers are hard and have a lot of weird jargon. True. So they changed a lot of things within the programming to align with terminology that the animators already used. Oh, they brought in like a translator. Basically. That's pretty good. So yes, to make it so the animators were more easily able to transition into that digital world. That's smart. Despite being the first film to be entirely assembled and completed digitally, none of the marketing called it up as such. You think you'd be like, look at us. This is our first computer done Maybe project. they didn't think that the intended audience would care. Maybe. But like, you gotta sell it to these parents, too. Another ding on the face of this movie. It was released the same weekend as Home Alone, and it surely suffered for it. 
What's wild to me, though, is that Katzenberg, after having this first terrible weekend when they were up against Home Alone, pulled all of the advertising for this movie. That's what I'm talking about. This guy is like throwing a tantrum. and He decided that, you know, fuck it, this isn't going to work. I can't compete with that real blonde kid. Right. Like, what kills me is that it's not like people don't go to a movie another weekend. Like, oh, you could have gotten a second yeah. wave of people. You didn't have to... There's more than the first week in Katzenberg. Get your shit that, together. That um, Disney Wars book I have, I, I started it and then I got distracted with other stuff. I'm going to try to read it this year, but th- this is what they, they're talking about this era, this like early to mid 90s yeah. with Eisner and Katzenberg. And I'm, I'm curious to know um, what to, to get to know like what Katzenberg is actually like, because it's it, from everything that I've read about him, it sounds like he's just kind of like an impatient douchebag. Yeah. Like Absolutely. this. How much we said that this was like a thirty-eight million dollar movie or something, right? And to pull all of and your advertising to after pull the first all weekend, the first weekend. That's ridiculous. Things live in the theaters for like at least a month. You have and four this more is right weekends. around. It's right around Christmas, right? Like I don't, un- I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't like him. I think that's very evident in our podcast. <laughs> How little we like cats. And- yeah. I looked. I just did like a Google search for reviews of this movie because I was wondering how there are a lot of like people looking back on overlooked Disney movies and stuff. And uh, this was on denofgeek.com. They pointed out that because this was released in 1990, right between the little mermaid and beauty and the beast, it's technically part of the Disney Renaissance, Mm -hmm. which is such a weird thought because it's certainly maybe if the advertising hadn't been pulled, maybe if you hadn't done terrible things in the management of this movie, in countries where the phrase down under isn't well known or is considered offensive. I'm trying to figure out how it's considered offensive. I, I really want to know. Uh, I'm very curious about that. Australians, movie, let us know. Australians. Well, no, they wouldn't know because it's down under is... French people, let us know. Why do you hate Why calling you hate Australia down, down under? under? It's probably some sort of like innuendo. <laughs> We're going down under. <laughs> It's known as Bernard and Bianca in the land of the kangaroos. See, that seems offensive. That seems more offensive than Down Under. Yeah. Also, we only see like one kangaroo. Yeah, there aren't very many kangaroos. When you think of the outback, you think of like red dust and kangaroos. Honestly, I expected a lot more like giant scary things for the outback. I feel like the outback is- giant spiders? I feel like the outback is mostly small scary things, but maybe you're right. Yeah, they have like the- um, crab spiders or whatever they're called yeah coconut crabs shit like that giant scary shit in australia no thank you no thank you so we open on this scene with these cool little bugs just kind of like roaming around being bugs being bugs living their best life and then we get the first use of that cgi that they did at this big field of flowers which looked way more impressive when i was a kid sure and again i think it's just falling victim to hd televisions oh yeah it's and definitely ruined screens. our and appreciation just, of subtle things it looked super cool when i was a kid because my tv was shit so you didn't mm-hmm. notice that it was like the same patch of flowers over and over and over again whereas now you look at it and go like wow that is super super uniform flowers Mm -hmm. (laughs) all look the same but it's still cool and you go and we have this big zooming scene over and we're coming up onto this one single tiny little house the the solitary shack in the middle of the australian outback as you do yep and we go and we zoom into the window but then we're suddenly from the other side of the window anyway it's a drone drone flying one of the things that I noticed as I was watching this is that I feel, and maybe I'm just not paying enough attention to newer movies that are animated like this, but I feel like we got a lot more depth of scenery in older animated films where you like there's just lots of little details. Like you could pause and get an entire snapshot of who yeah. this kid is from his room. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there's shit everywhere. You can there's so many little things to see and look at, and I think that's true of like across the board. There's lots of details, and I don't feel like I necessarily like I'm trying to think back like watching Frozen with Abby a thousand million times I don't feel like it had that same depth no, of scenery I would say the one that probably did would be Lilo and Stitch mm, yeah that was a good one but you know I think you're right there is a weird like kind of flat affect almost to a lot of the newer like we fall victim to this like modern design sensibility of like minimalism and clean lines yeah. and shit and no looking at a kid's room lives that way yeah totally like, the people who do are sad boring people 
So then we get Cody, who is our little white blonde boy living in the outback of Australia. Do you have anything to add to that? Oh, I have lots to add to that. <laughs> so the story supervisor, Joe Ranft. Ranft? Ranft, I think. R-A-N-F-T. I'd too say many Ranft. consonants, not enough vowels. Yeah, especially at the end. We had to crowd them all together. That's a lot of... So Joe Ranft, Ranft, the story supervisor, pushed to cast an Aboriginal Australian in the role of Cody, and the animators wanted to make him an Aboriginal child in the movie, because, you know, they're in the outback of Australia, where there are... Where Aboriginal people are from? Are from. And this was denied in favor of casting a little white blonde kid for the voice and for the animation style. There is a Collider article, I think just from last year, written by Drew Taylor, that is a whole chunk that basically pins all of it on Katzenberg, without going (laughs) so far as to calling him a racist, which is a shame. An executive is quoted as recalling Katzenberg shouting, nobody wants to see that little boy of color. Classy. Super classy. He also insisted that a white boy would be more commercially acceptable. So. I think that maybe he had some issues. I think maybe that he was a racist. Is is he alive? I, th- I was going to say, right? I think I he's know. still alive. Fuck you, Katzenberg. I hope you hear this. So Cody goes running out into the outback by, by himself. Okay. I don't have kids. I'm an anxious person, naturally. naturally. That's just how I am. Why is this child running through the fucking outback by himself? Where are his parents? Where is his accent? He doesn't have an Australian accent. He does not. His mom does. His mother does. He doesn't. Also, I think his dad is gone and or dead, one of the two. Yeah, I think his dad's his dad's gone. Certainly so not in the picture. That's he's living in a shack in the middle of the outback with his Australian his mother, and he's just running around in his little hiker boots by himself. Okay, so I did a lot of running around by myself as a kid. In the outback? Not in the outback, but I went like into the acres of land at the ski club by myself. Well, I mean, I did that too. I grew up on a farm. Like I was yeah. out roaming by myself all the time too. But, but that's just his backyard. Is but there the are outback. so many spiders that will kill you. Well, clearly he's survived this far. We don't know that. Maybe but this also, is all a fever he's got dream. all of the animals on his side because somehow he can talk to animals. Which brings us to our next plot point. Why can he talk to animals? Why is he talking to animals? Why is he only talking to some animals? You know what? We see two kangaroos. I was wrong. Because there's the kangaroo that's blowing a tree stump like a didgeridoo. Okay. To get his attention, to tell him there's a problem. So he comes and all the animals come with him because he's like the fucking Snow White of the Outback. Yes. Um, And they're like, oh, there's this, this eagle. It's captured up on top of the cliff how they know the eagles up there i don't know why are they doing anything about it why do they care they care enough to go get a seven-year-old right so they're like oh we gotta go save this this eagle so cody our dumb little eight-year-old climbs up a massive cliff this is a sheer cliff i would also like to know how he managed to do i understand he's outdoorsy that's and that's great But he doesn't have like climbing shoes on. He doesn't he has have no a gear. Rope. He's got no ropes. How is he climbing up this cliff face? How is he spider monkeying his way up this cliff? It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's stupid. Anyway, he gets up to the top of this cliff and there is a big fucking eagle. Let's talk about this eagle. So eagles, I think they're called golden eagles. They're, they do exist. They're not that big. No. Nope. They can't carry around a, a person. They don't think they can fly 30,000 feet or whatever. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like how big the (laughs) eagle was. I thought it was uh, uncomfortable. I thought I didn't like that he was flying around on it like it was some kind of... Amusement park ride? Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit much. Also, who captured this eagle on top of this cliff? Why is like... Because these are like ropes staked into the ground. I thought the implication was that it was... What's his name? McKellen? McLeach. McLeach. Why? But why would he have just left it there? Maybe he had to go pee. I don't know. Why didn't he leave his lizard with it? Joanna? Yeah. I don't know. I have questions, Allie. I understand. I'm on your side. (laughs) (laughs) Also, why doesn't the eagle speak? All That's of what the I'm saying. Animals there, this happened in the first movie too. Like I want continuity with what animals speak and what don't. Right. Why wouldn't the eagle speak? Oh, that would be insane. But the koala bear. What the koala of ex- can existential dread later can. Right. Like why? Why doesn't this bird speak? Yeah, but I don't know. But clearly understands Cody. Right. Like people who can. Are we being ableist? Is it mute? I don't think we're being ableist. Okay. 
Glenn Keane, who was a name that we've heard a lot, he's one of the mm-hmm. animators, was the supervising animator from Maharute. I think that's how it's pronounced. Maharute? Maharute? What, what does that mean? I don't know. I didn't Google that. Google it right now. Yes, ma'am. He studied live eagles, stuffed eagles, and an eagle skeleton, and then promptly drew what he wanted and enlarged the bird, shrunk the head, elongated its neck and wings, and puffed out its chest. Unrealistic expectations for the female form, no matter what the species. (laughs) They also slowed the movements of the wings to 20 to 30% of what an eagle would actually do to show detail on the wings. Mm. I'm going to give it to Glen Keane. This eagle looks very much like an eagle. Like it, it does. moves like a bird I would like a wild animal I would expect to move and it looked really good except for being, you know, ridiculously sized. Too big. Too big. Oh, it means this is according to names.org so who knows if it's accurate. It means mother eagle and is of Australian oh. origin. So I'm assuming not that means subtle that, at all. I'm assuming that that means it's it's an Aboriginal word. Yeah, well, I mean, Simba means lion. That's so. true. They're not very good at that whole keep like, it keep deep, it simple. Keep it simple. Uh, they're also flamingos. They keep like flies through a big pack of flamingos, right, or whatever they're that. whatever they're called. And I said, are there flamingos in Australia? And I looked it up just today because I forgot that I made that note. And apparently, there were flamingos in. Oh. That were native to Australia at one point, but it was it, the one date I found was that the they died out around 140,000 years ago. Oh, so not really, not really, uh, right? But they were there at some point. However. Oh. You know, I fell down a Google hole. As you do. So greater flamingos are the most common kind of the ones that you typically see at zoos. Okay. There was a greater flamingo named Greater. Continuing clever. on with, yeah, great, clever, creative wow, naming. we're just not good at naming as a species, are we? No. It was kept in captivity at the Adelaide Zoo and it died in 2014. The caretakers of Greater weren't sure exactly its age or gender, which is why I'm saying it, which is very weird. They couldn't tell what gender it was. I guess that some people say he. Huh. We can't. It's dead, so we can't ask the flamingo its preferable pronouns. pronouns. But this flamingo was estimated to be between 84 and 95 years old. Damn. A flamingo. I didn't know they could live that long. Apparently, in the wild, they live between 30 and 40 years, and in captivity, they can live up to like 70. This one just happened to be Damn. super old. I had no idea that they lived that long. It's crazy. And and I think they said 2008 or something, a bunch of kids beat him up. <gasps> who beats up a fucking old ass flamingo? Australians, that's who. Fuck kids. Adelaide. Yeah, so then we get the amazing scene of Cody flying around with Maharute, and I vividly remember this scene. I remember yeah. him being pushed along the river on the like beak of the big eagle. It's very unsafe. Everything about it is unsafe. This kid's risked his life like 17 times, and it's it's been like 10 minutes. This kid is fucking reckless. He just goes over the waterfall like it's nothing and just trusts that the bird is going to catch him. Yep. So... Then they go back to the nest. Then, yes, Maharuta takes him to her nest with her little, not little, they're big, big eggs. Big and eggs. he asks where the dad bird is, and we get the sad bird face. Her husband is dead. He's dead. Or something. Sorry. That was what Will said, too. He was like, that bird's really fucking huge. Where's the where's the dad? Because there's like, even bigger. So we're talking like a Godzilla-sized bird flapping around somewhere. Seriously. At some point. It was kind of around this time that I the animation started reminding me of Fern Gully mm. a little bit. Oh, God. I haven't watched Fern Gully I haven't seen it in probably 25 years. Probably. Uh, dang. I bet it's not good. Probably not. So Cody sees the eggs and then, I don't know, has a heart-to-heart with the bird and then he goes wandering <laughs> off and he finds a little mouse that's tied up and like a dummy he goes to try to save the mouse and falls into a trap. The mouse is saying it's a trap, it's a trap. Yeah, the mouse is like, you dummy, get away, but he doesn't listen. Get away! So he falls in and the mouse is like, okay, I don't know what to do now. So the mouse starts climbing out of the hole and the mouse just goes, are you alright? And Cody goes, I think so. And the mouse goes, okie dokie and runs off. I had that same note because that was so funny. It was just like, alright, well peace, and then he just fucking peace leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and then it turns out he wasn't just piecing out. He comes back with like a vine for Cody to try to climb up. He found a vine. That's he found nice a vine. Him. But at the same time, here comes this giant like tractor tank thing. Mm. Yeah, it was like, a weird flying over like ridges and stuff. The suspension on that truck must just be fucked. I listened to a true crime podcast the other day about a case in Australia, and apparently they call those cars Utes because they're utility vehicles. They call them Utes. All right then. U-T-E. Utes. Isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Utes. It's, it's, 
Kate. Uh, so he, uh, then we get the arrival of our villain of the movie, mm-hmm. McLeach, who's a poacher. And then he starts being a real dick to a kid stuck in a hole. Yeah, yeah, that's the kid's already pretty low. I mean, he's a child and he's in a hole. Right. And then so he pulls this kid out with the barrel of his gun and he's got this big ass lizard named Joanna with him. And Joanna sees the mouse in the backpack on Cody. She's trying to go after that. But Cody's got the eagle feather on his backpack. And suddenly McLeach is super interested in what Cody knows about this eagle. I do have one note here from our boy Roger Ebert coming in with Mm -hmm. another hot take. (laughs) He wrote in his review of this movie, Why does the villain have to be so noticeably dark-complexioned compared to all the other characters? Is Disney aware of the racially coded message it is sending? When I made that point to another critic, he argued that McLeach wasn't dark-skinned. He was simply seen in shadow. Those are shadows cast by insensitivity to negative racial stereotyping. (laughs) Damn, son! So. Wow. Coming in for the kill. I search every movie we do with Roger Ebert's name just to see if he has a review because he always has great fucking takes on stuff. I wish we could have locked him and Katzenberg in a room together. Would have torn that man to shreds. Mm-hmm. So McLeach is like, you know where this eagle is. And he throws him in the cage in the back of his truck and drives. I'm sorry, in the back of his ute. And he, <laughs> right. and he drives off. I bet that's not legal. I'm pretty sure that's considered kidnapping. Well, when I you, mean, he's um, a poacher. So when I'm you steal sure a child. is not high on his list of things to care about. I guess so. So then the little mouse that he, that Cody was trying to save runs off to the what are they called the RAS apparently there's little houses all over the little huts all over the place that are the RAS the rodent something I can't remember what it stands for anymore rodents the mice uh, the mice people saving shit the mice helpers the mice helpers so then we get a lovely little montage scene of the message getting sent around the world um one of my favorite parts of this was they stop at Hawaii and all the Hawaiian mice are wearing shirts like Connor wears I'm not happy that this is a thing that's a thing now I don't like that that's what Connor's known for dear husband sure is he just bought Yet another Hawaiian shirt. Does he like get rid of one thing when he buys another oh, one? Oh no! Oh no! Oh yeah! That's how you keep things under control. Mm-hmm. We're working on it. <laughs> so this message is like you, you. There's this montage of it being bounced kind of up all across the ocean until it gets to the New York headquarters. And I just want to know how it makes sense that mice in New York are going to be more effective finding a kidnapped child than the Australian like people police. How does that make any sense? To be fair, the Australian people police did not find this kid. They tried. That's true. They also were not alerted right away. I feel like the mice maybe should have, maybe they did send out an SOS to the, I don't know. And you know, I don't like cops, so I would normally never be like, they should have been alerted. But I'm going to make an exception. I just think that this is in- inefficient. I mean, yeah. Also, why wouldn't you want to like reach out to local mice that would know the area better? Yeah, like maybe a handsome one. Maybe a handsome notch-eared kangaroo mouse. Yeah. Who They're really cute. Have you seen a little kangaroo mouse? Super fucking Super adorable. cute. So then we get into our little mouse UN council or whatever. And and yeah, but who's missing? Who's missing but Bernard and Bianca. Because they're having dinner. Fancy ass dinner. They're having a fancy dinner at a little Ratatouille-esque mouse restaurant. I love a rodent eatery. I think it's so cute. And they're having this like fancy little dinner and they're eating off buttons and shit. Okay, so there's a tiny bottle of wine and tiny champagne glasses, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so there's an entire entire society of mice creating mouse wine and mouse-sized things. I don't like the term mouse wine. (laughs) (laughs) But so they have like an entire like, you know, production of this stuff. Why are they eating the food that fell on the floor? Maybe they're not making the wine. Maybe the wine is like stolen too. Okay, but they're still making tiny glasses and tiny bottles. Couldn't they steal some fresh food and not a pea that fell on the fucking floor? I can't believe that you they seasoned that pea. Yeah. Quite with liberally. Like three handfuls of salt. <laughs> 
and then yeah. just called it pea soup. Like what? What? Yeah, there wasn't even any broth in there. How do you, how do they order anything? Because you just have to be at the whim of what falls on the floor. It's it's fucking chef's choice every chef's every choice, dish, every meal. All right, that's my mouse restaurant rant. That's cool. We can move on. And it's a very special night for Bernard and Bianca because Bernard is going to ask Miss Bianca, who he by the way is still calling Miss Bianca, to be He's his polite alley to be his mouse wife. His mouse wife. He is wearing a tux jacket and a cummerbund and no pants. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I remember that and I remember saying to Will like why is he wearing a cummerbund but no pants. This seems very why is he like fancy Donald ducking it? Yeah I know. Oh I know. Because we noticed the same dumb shit. Why isn't that mouse wearing pants? Why isn't he wearing pants? So he goes to take the ring out of his pocket but it's there's a hole in his coat and it's fallen on the floor and he goes. Hijinks. Hijinks. Just hijinks. He's crawling on the floor. Some lady ends up with it on her toe. He takes it off of her toe and she assumes her companion is trying to play footsie and she wallops the guy. Yeah, you know I love slapping men, but I will say, if you think someone's trying to play footsie, I feel like a slap is pretty extreme. You could just tell him to stop. It's not like Maybe he grabbed you, her she's boo. already told him. Oh, Maybe true. he has an issue of not following her boundaries. Will's not allowed to grab my knee while he's driving because it tickles too much. That's fair. I had to actually yell at him once and be like, I told you not to do that. <laughs> boundaries. Boundaries. So while Bernard is walking around or crawling around on the floor, a cockroach comes up and tells Miss Bianca that there's a mission for her and Bernard, and she sends him off to find Bernard. And Bernard comes back, and it's classic misunderstanding. He thinks they're talking about marriage. She thinks she's talking about the mission because she's like, "Oh, I heard everything, and we it's must get going." Duty. And he goes like, "Oh, duty. Well, okay." <laughs> Right. So they go and they accept their mission and they go to find their albatross, Orville, to take them to Australia. And this is one of the changes from the original one. Jim Jordan, who had voiced Orville in the previous movie, had recently passed away. And Roy Disney suggested they make a new character instead of recasting Orville to honor his role. So John Candy was brought in to voice Wilbur. I think that's a good idea. I think it's a cute idea, and I think it's nice. Like you don't plus you get Orville and Wilbur brothers. So then we get a lot of like you know goofy slapstick stuff with very slapstick. I have my just one of my notes here that I just wrote is feathers as fingers. I think I meant to flush this out more, but I think and this is a thing I talked about with Robin Hood with oh with the knitting. You wouldn't stop talking about the knitting. Well, because she's using her feathers like they're fingers. Yeah, and Wilbur is doing the same thing in this. He's like pointing and like feathers don't work that way. Birds don't have hands. Not with that attitude. I subscribe to birds with arms on Reddit. It's just nothing but photoshopped pictures of birds with arms. But they're not feathers used as fingers. Some of them are. Birds aren't real anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> Ellie's hot take for this podcast. Anyway, I just that's the thing I noticed. And I was like, oh, wait, I've talked about this before. Oh, right. <laughs> it's one of those things that's like going to pop up every eighth movie we do. And you're going to be like, they fucking did it again. And it's going to be a thing. So they get on the bird and there's a whole like thing where they end up flying through a storm and they end up on another plane. Yeah, they I, they actually got onto a, a plane that was going to Australia, which I was like, thank God, because that's a long ass trip. Anyway, what is it like trip. a 20 hour flight or something? something ridiculous? Like, I think you would lose all sense of time. No, not a flight like that. And then we cut back to McLeach in his ute. You like that, Dr- huh? I do. I like it a lot. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> it's a very cute word for a ridiculous-looking vehicle. Yeah, Australians. Uh, and so he's driving, and he's got Cody in the back, and he starts singing this horrible song. I don't remember Like a parody song. of Home on the Range. Oh. Where he talks about how he likes to capture animals and cut through their sides and rip off their hides. All right. That, so he's a serial killer. So he's legit just fucked up. Wow. I bet he was beaten up as a kid. Yes. This is 1990. So yeah. I don't know if kids weren't kidnapped very much back then, but I was just like, I don't know. There, There's a lot of attention being drawn to this child being kidnapped now, and which is good. But like, I'm just thinking that now you'd be lucky to get like an Amber Alert. You certainly wouldn't have mice coming in from out of, out of country. Yeah. Help. I guess maybe they aren't often kidnapped by poacher. Well, they don't know he was kidnapped by a poacher. No, they think he was just missing. I don't know what could have possibly happened to him, officer. He was running around in the outback unprotected like he always does. By himself as a small child. Do you think maybe a crocodile got him? Do could you think? be. You think that maybe? 
So then they're going into his, he, he's bringing Cody into abandoned opal mines where apparently he's made his hideout. It's not a bad idea. That's a no. great place to hide a body in a mine. Yeah. Who's going to find it? No one. Why are you down in a mine? What are you doing? What's why are you being a creep? Who's, why, why, why creep? who hangs out in a mine? Right? Only creeps. <laughs> And miners. And miners, but you know. So we cut back to Wilbur and Bianca and Bernard, and they're going to, they're leaving the airplane and flying into Sydney. And then there's this really weird juxtaposition of animation styles because you have like the CGI of the times of the Sydney Opera House, and it's all very mm-hmm. like flat colors, very smooth yeah. animation that looks very uncanny valley. And they go through it and they come up the other side, and we've got like this like very sketchy art style mm-hmm. backgrounds instead of the CGI so it just seems very like it's not a good it doesn't transition well at no, all no it's not a good transition like the CGI so they did the CGI because they could it feels like and just kind of throw right. it in there and it's not integrated well at all into the movie well they were still playing with things they were still working it out it was early in the age of CGI mm-hmm. so then Wilbur is contacting the mouse air control who turns out to be just you know the kangaroo mouse jake that we meet in a little bit but Mm -hmm. apparently the runway is too short i didn't understand this part he's a bird he could just land on the ground Uh, maybe albatrosses need time to prepare i don't know i mean mostly it was just like a reason for them to have a lot of slapstick happening and like a ton of slapstick there's so much slapstick in this and so they land, and then we get the really weird scene where he throws out his back. The bird does. This led to so much weird, like, fucking evil doctor shit. Yeah, it was very it was odd. creepy. So they take Wilbur to, like, this hospital, which is an abandoned ambulance, like, half turned on its side. Yeah. And I don't understand why this was part of the movie. It made no sense. It didn't matter. Yeah, I asked Will the same thing. I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And he said his, his best bet was just, like, they needed to keep, they needed, like, so, to do something with Wilbur. But they didn't. Like, in the first one, we don't see Orville. Like, he gets there, and then yeah, we, don't, that's it. we don't have to have, like, maybe they went oh is this john candy we have yeah, to like, give him that's more. what i was thinking but you know what you didn't it was super unnecessary but we do get to meet jake the kangaroo mouse not gonna lie pretty sure i was very into jake the kangaroo mouse as a child wow i'm really relieved to hear you say that because i remember thinking he was super cute and then i remember that my mom and dad took me to go see the Wind in the Willows at the Children's Theater Workshop or Children's Theater Company when I was like probably six or seven and I had a huge crush on the rats. Maybe I just had like a rodent thing when I was a kid. I mean, you have admitted to being into furry stuff on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So everyone wanted to, everybody wanted to fuck Robin Hood. Everyone did. We all, we all know it. We just aren't all willing to admit it. Yeah. Sorry that I'm being too real for you. But no, I definitely thought that Jake was cute. Yes. He is voiced by Tristan Rogers, who is the only actual Australian in this movie can i tell you that tristan is like low-key one of my favorite names really i love the name tristan yeah my only real like connection to tristan is that there's a character in gilmore girls that's named tristan and he's like a dick he's played by chad michael murray oh there's a throwback yes chad michael back in the 90s when people had to have three names and they were three child names. actors <laughs> he went on to one tree hill fame he was in a cinderella story wasn't he he sure was. Yeah. I heard good things about One Tree Hill. I never watched it. Uh, I mean, it was your classic CW teen drama in the, the struggles end, of like, white teenagers. Basically, they were With all like one black very, person, very white. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Jake is going to take them. I don't know why. He, oh, because he thinks he he knows where to go. I think that he he suspects that McLeach is behind this. Is doesn't that what happened? Yeah, like I think you know, so he knows where to go. So he, they are. He's like, going. Uh, to, I know what's going on. He's going to lead them there, and he like captures a snake to help them get oh, there. I don't remember the snake. Oh yeah, he like lassos a snake and tells that snake that he's going to be his bitch now. And oh. Bianca and Jake are on the head of the snake going off and poor Bernard is just sitting on the bottom. Bernard's kind of a cuck, though. I think he's into it. (sighs) It's a hot take. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm full of hot takes today. full of hot takes today. And then Bianca goes, oh, we're not married, because Jake assumes that Bernard is her husband. And Jake sees an opportunity. Yeah. And he does, like, the not-at-all-subtle arm around her shoulder thing. And it's My man's got to shoot a shot. No. No, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked for that, Jake. Remember, guys, it's not a no until you you get assaulted right back. (laughs) 
So we go back to McLeach, who is living in a cave, talking to a lizard, and throwing knives at children. He's not well. He is um, not well. He's not well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the big D. I think this man is disturbed. Yes. If he was any more disturbed, he'd be down with a sickness. <laughs> he doesn't have anything to lose. He is he's willing to straight up murder a little kid to get to a bird. Imagine a bird. loving anything the way this man loves killing animals. I it's wild. And then so like then he throws Cody in a cage in a room full of other animals. My question is why are these animals still alive? Like wouldn't he have just killed them? I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe you'd he have likes to torturing kind of them. feed them and give them some sort of minimal care. Maybe he likes torturing them. That's fucked up. And then we get the existential dread koala. Yeah, says, I liked him. <laughs> who has no optimism whatsoever in the situation. He says that there is a way out, all right. You'll go as a wallet. You'll go as a belt. Like, dude, that's dark shit no. for a kid's movie. He, he gets it, though. Yes. And then McLeach leaves the keys on the hook by the door. Okay, I wrote this. This is one of my least favorite tropes in kids' movies is when the villain locks somebody in like a room or a dungeon or a cage but leaves the keys right there. This right, is just like, lazy. It's just so stupid. And they're always like on one of those giant rings and right. they're like those old-fashioned skeleton keys. It's ridiculous. This man drives a ute. Come on, he doesn't have a skeleton key. Get your shit together. To be fair, though, Cody's like plan to get the keys is pretty ingenious. Mm. Like they had a whole like system. Yeah, they're organized. They were very organized. Unfortunately, Joanna comes through the lizard door and breaks it all up. Put the keys back on the fucking hook again. They don't learn. The villains are no. so dumb. Then we cut to the terrifying hospital scenes again where the Wilbur the bird is about to get like fucking surgery. I, I did not like this part. I thought that it was weird. I thought that it was uncomfortable. It Yeah, it just reminded me of like weird body horror movies. Yeah. And then he manages to get out and the nurse mice push a button that flashes a sign that says patient escaping. How often is this happening that you need a sign that says patient escaping? Yeah, a neon sign. I think it's a sign that maybe you shouldn't be a hospital anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Your hospital and your overturned ambulance. Yes. And then Wilbur falls back on top of the doctor and his back is fixed and he goes flying off and we get the requisite fat shaming where he says he's got to get on a diet when he gets home. But that's it. I think that's the only like real derogatory thing that we get maybe he just wanted to eat more salads that's not what he says though that's what he should have said that's what people should, should say instead of like i have to lose weight just be like i need to have more leafy greens in my life yeah you need to eat healthier anyway so we cut back to cody still in a cage and then there's frank the weird little lizard guy with the frill who's oh yeah just frank. like fucking losing his shit yeah he was definitely having what we would call a nervous breakdown <laughs> for sure but so he was in the cage with cody yes manages to unlock the door with his tail mm-hmm. he doesn't relock it so why does cody need to unlock it with key? why didn't he just open the fucking door maybe it locks when it swings shut i can't remember what those lizards are called with the fans me the fan necks. it's like that dinosaur from jurassic park i was what i exactly what i was thinking the one that spits venom <laughs> so then he gets the keys and they're starting to start unlock stuff and then oh there's the scene where joanna's stealing the eggs from mccleach <laughs> yeah. and that was a legitimately hilarious scene will said it reminded him of the marx brothers yes. it, this movie relied very heavily on like slapstick physical gags a hundred percent yeah it <laughs> sure did Joanna stealing the eggs, and that gives McLeach the idea of like, oh, we'll use the eggs as a trap for the boy. Yeah, to a little get light bulb went off over his to head. This, to this nest because he's still and trying to find this stupid eagle, and he's, he's still like, trying well, to find the eagle. Somehow he knew that the eagle had eggs. Had oh, because he killed the the dad. The father, yeah, he killed the father, and he so he knew somehow that there were eggs. So he's like, all right, I'm going to use the eggs and manipulate this little boy's feelings because he loves this giant ass eagle that he can't talk to. And I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell him that the mother is dead, and he's gonna rush off to to get the eggs and protect them. Yes, which is like honestly not a bad scheme. Like this kid's pretty stupid. No, that's a legit clever ploy on yeah. his point. And then he follows, so he releases Cody and gives him his switchblade back and sends him off into the wilderness. And be like, all right, yeah. bye, kid. I guess it's over. Not like I haven't threatened your life repeatedly over here. I'm just gonna let you go now. And then bye. he follows him in his Ute which is super not subtle at all. It's pretty loud. Cody's a real dummy for not realizing that he was being followed. Cody's pretty stupid. He is a dumb ass kid. So Cody leads McLeach right to the nest.
nest, yeah. crawls down to get to the eggs, and then hears Maharut screeching through the canyon. And I then... think this is when the rescuers actually show up and they meet. Yes, they meet. They're like, "Oh, you're he's coming. He's gonna come get you and whatnot, or get the bird." And so. In a, you know, it's all bad timing. McLeach shoots like a giant fucking cannon net thing. Yeah. Captures the bird. Cody jumps onto it to try to cut it loose. Ends up in the cage with the bird and Bianca and Jake. But Bernard was left behind with the eggs, which is right. important later. So they, McLeach pulls them up and goes, all right, Joanna, go get those eggs. And so she scrambles or she jumps off the cliff or something. Or she's afraid of heights. There's a, yeah. oh, yeah, she's afraid of heights for like a hot second. And then McLeach just throws her over with a rope. And she this gets down there. He really is. And she starts gnawing on the eggs and she can't get into them and she can't get into it and she can't bite them. And she, she just throws the eggs over the side. But aha, uh-huh, they're not the real eggs. They are conveniently egg-shaped rocks. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. How do they happen to find How rocks Bernard, that were- a tiny ass little mouse, yeah. move three big eggs out of the nest to hide them and move three rocks yeah. that are conveniently shaped like eggs into the nest? Also, this relationship with the monitor lizard that McLeach has, I, it was like actually pretty uncomfortable. It was very like abusive. Oh, he's super abusive. And treats her similarly to like the, I think it was the goblins in the Black Cauldron. I haven't watched and, like, the Black Cauldron yet. The the minions and Sleeping Beauty and just like treated like total shit, but they just keep coming back. It was uncomfortable. Kind of like the weird hospital scenes, just sort of unnecessary and uncomfortable. Super unnecessary. So McLeach takes Cody to a a big body of water and he's going to feed him to crocodiles. Who hurt you that you're okay feeding a kid to crocodiles because of a bird? Feeding a kid to crocodiles is like next level. That is is hardcore. That's like that's intense. And that's Bianca like Strom is Thurmond. Oof. Bianca is sure that Bernard is going to show up and save the day, and then we get a scene of Bernard showing a warthog who's boss and basically taking him hostage to bring him to where the crocodile. So, stuff yeah, is. it was something like that. I, yeah. I don't know. I started losing track of this movie at this point. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this is where you're like, all right, there's like five minutes left of this movie. I'm just gonna right. So Bernard gets there and saves the day and basically pushes McLeach into the crocodile-infested waters. Yeah. Is that grounds for murder? I think so. Or at least I, that- I suppose we don't actually see McLeach die. So he doesn't actually get eaten by crocodiles. He gets pushed over the waterfall. I think that um, Bernard might be the first Disney character murderer. Maybe. It's always the know. quiet ones. And then Joanna waves at McLeach as he goes over the waterfall. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Fuck you, buddy. Fuck you. Go live a better life, Joanna. And then that's kind of it. Like we we literally don't get the rescuers else. don't do very much. They don't do much, and we don't get a whole lot of resolution. Like no, we he get, gets returned to his mom. He, yeah, and then like Wilbur is sitting on the. Oh, that's right. Wilbur showed up when Bernard was with the eggs and ends up mm-hmm. sitting on the eggs to keep them warm. And we hear a baby chick hatching, but we yeah. never actually get to see the baby, which, which is, is so is crazy. Stupid. Why wouldn't you show us a fucking baby golden eagle? I know missed opportunity majorly. And then that's like it. And then the movie's it, over. The, movie, the movie's over. Oh, I think that he proposes. Oh, yeah. He does propose at some point in there. But, like, we don't actually see Cody get reunited with his mom. We don't see the eagle get reunited with her chicks. We see no. No, it's nothing. It just ends. It's very odd. Yeah. Like I said, I think I kind of ruined this movie for myself now. That's okay. It's not the first time and it won't be the last. No. There was apparently another Rescuers sequel planned for 1996, but after the deaths of Ava Gabor and John Candy, those were scrapped. So that could be why the ending was sort of ambiguous. Mm, like, they yeah. Knew that it was going to lead in other things, but frankly, it just felt like bad storytelling. Again, this whole movie just kind of felt disjointed. Yeah. Like they felt like they had to make one, so they did. It's it super money grab kind of movie and yeah. not well done at all. I agree. What would you rate this movie? I would rate this movie four out of nine Hawaiian shirts. I'm going to rate this movie two and a half out of seven sexy kangaroo mice. <laughs> All right. It was okay. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our episode about the rescuers down under or the rescuers in the land of the kangaroos or whatever the fuck it was called. If we wildly fuck something up, please let us know. If you just disagree with us, you can also let us know because frankly, no one ever contacts us and it'd be kind of nice. You Even can find you us. Yeah, let us know. We love haters. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WTPA Pod. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
He had a lot of gambling debts. I made that up. I don't know if he had any gambling <laughs> debts. He probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't say that about somebody. <laughs> Pretty sure that's libel, so we'll not say that. <laughs> <laughs>